Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Bill Stevens, one of the pastors here, and, and it is really fun to, uh, to get to be with you guys today, especially with this passage that we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, and this is, this is uh, if there was a passage that I would say in my life was a, a life verse, this is, the, this is my life verse, or at least it's one that has, has followed me and chased me and appeared in, in all of the, the major points of my life. This passage continues to come. It was introduced to me in college, and it's one that has just kept kept reappearing over and over again. I'm going to say something kind of churchy here for a second. It's a, it's a, it's a little cheesy, a little churchy, but I would even call this, this passage a friend of mine. I know it's, it's weird to say that about a passage of Scripture, but if you think about it, if a friend is somebody that is there in your best time and there in your worst time and will challenge you and will kick your butt and at the same time will encourage you and, and, and offer just a great amount of love over you, that's, if that's a great friend, this passage, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, has been that passage that has been following me through everything. It was introduced to me back in college. And back then, man, I didn't know. I didn't know that much about this, this book. And, and I had read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that was it. And Because that that's where you start. In fact, if any of you guys are just getting started reading the Bible, and you have, you're starting in Genesis, and now you're in Exodus and Leviticus, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> and go straight to Mark, okay? The shortest of the four books that talk about the life of Jesus. You can go back to Leviticus later. I'm not saying that's something you shouldn't read. I'm just saying read these ones first, okay? So I was reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I knew about Peter, okay? I knew about him. And I, and I read about his li- the, the life of Peter within the life of Jesus. And, and I'm, I'm really relating to Peter because he's someone that wanted so desperately to do it right. And then he'd make mistakes and he'd be foolish and he'd act on his emotion and all of those things that were part of Peter's life. And, and I knew that. I didn't know that that same Peter was the one that wrote First and Second Peter. I didn't know that. Uh, but, but at the time, this passage still spoke to me. I didn't know that when Peter wrote 1 Peter, he was writing within a time period where Nero was going after all the Christians. The emperor of Rome was, 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 was murdering Christians and torturing Christians and throwing them in prison, separating out families. Brothers and sisters were being killed and, and, and Christians were being scattered all over the place. And that's when Peter wrote 1 Peter. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he was writing to them because he was afraid for these young Christians that they would eventually drop their faith. They drop their faith because if they're, if they're leaning on Jesus and then all of this oppression and persecution was happening around them, in the end, would they just conclude, well, God must not be there. And so here's Peter coming into these these guys' lives and he's explaining to them, you guys, you need to know that while life is shakable, this is unshakable. Okay, he's saying that's, that's, that's why we started a couple of weeks ago with Walk This Way. We started with the foundation because Peter lays a foundation saying this part won't be shaken. Jim last week talked about the, the, um, the cornerstone because now when you think about foundation and cornerstone and aligning our life on the cornerstone of Christ, those are unshakable things in a shakable world. 
where life is, is hitting us from all sides and we feel our own version, while it's not the same as it was back then for, for those guys with the oppression and the persecution, we feel our own version of it. And what does it look like to stand strong on this foundation? Well, now as we continue into 1 Peter and as I jump into 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, this is where he starts to put some traction to all of that. This is where he starts to go, okay, now humble your, because of that truth, And that foundation that is not shaken, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Man, the person that introduced that to me told me to memorize it because he says, you're going to want to know this later on in life. And man, it has continued to come up. It came up to me in Bellingham, when, when I, Bellingham, Washington, when, when Jackie and I moved up there and we're having kids and it was like miscarriage and then a child and then a miscarriage and then a child and we're going through the pain and we're going through the joy and we're going through the overwhelming feelings and three kids in four years and, 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 uh, and then, and then uh, 28,000 a year and three little apartments and we're up there just going, oh my gosh, humble yourselves. Under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all those anxieties on him because he cares for you. When we moved away from Bellingham, that was, that was a day that, that I, I thought would never happen for me because I'm a homebody. I'm a guy that I thought for sure I'd be buying the house right next to my parents' house in Spokane. I thought I was going to be that one and that my three brothers would move away, but not me. And here I am taking a job in Colorado and I'm thinking I'm, moving, I'm the one moving away from family. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In the midst of this time down here where there's been some really great things and 14 years of doing college ministry and watching a ministry grow like crazy at the annex and, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing all that happen and six, seven, eight hundred students walking in, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. In the midst of all of that, my, my marriage, there are times with Jackie and I that we have, we have had a great marriage over 27 years, but there's times in our marriage where it's not great. Times where the communication wasn't happening very well. Times where we, were, we weren't emotionally communicating with each other. We weren't physically communicating with each, with each other. We weren't, we weren't talking to each other as well. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And he may lift you up in due time. Cast those anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then six years ago, six years ago when, when, I'm, when it's time for Jackie and I to turn in our resignation after 14 years, and we think this is the time the Lord is guiding us to start a church, and we're thinking, okay, here we go, we're gonna do this, but we don't know where our next paycheck's gonna be. We don't know how we're gonna pay for insurance. We don't know any of that. We don't know if anybody will show up And even more than all of those things, we were so hoping that our friends from California that used to live here in Colorado would come back and do this with us. But they were waffling back and forth at the time and they were saying, well, maybe we should go up to Seattle and take the job up there. And then they were saying, well, maybe we should go to Bozeman and plant a church in Bozeman because then I can fly fish every day. I mean, that's that's what this guy was thinking. And finally, Jim and Karen they said, yeah, we're going to come too. But before they decided that, Jackie and I are looking at each other and we're saying, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety, that anxiety on him 
because he cares for you. This passage has been gold for me in my life. It continues to appear over and over again. And today we get a chance to unpack that a little bit more. So let's pray together and let's unpack that passage. Father, we thank you for this time today. We thank you that you speak to us and, and that your words speak to us and that we can call your word a friend, that it's, a, it's living and active in our lives. And I pray that you would speak to us. And we, I don't say that lightly, but speak to us. What do you have to say for us from your word today? Speak to us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One more thing about my history with this passage. So I got this in college, and I'm, it's about two or three years into college, and, and, you know, and I, I had just been a Christian for a couple of years, and, and, uh, and, and the person that gave this to me gave it to me because I was over, I, I had some serious anxious, anxious moments in college. A lot of you would say that college students, man, life begins after college. That's when they're going to face the real world. Well, that's a bunch of bull because the real world is happening for college students too. The real world is the things that college students are dealing with and the questions that they're asking and the decisions that they have to make that ultimately will affect the rest of their life. That's happening right there in college too. And you think about it, some of those decisions are just as important or even more important than a lot of decisions that we're making anytime after that. You're having to make a decision on what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 19. That's a hard decision. And so college students are walking through that. Well, that's what was happening with me. And near the end of college, I was asking the question, do I want to do full-time ministry? Do I want to make 28000 a year and have three kids? Do I want to do that? Do I want to um, do, do, do that? Do I want to go live in the inner city? You guys, I spent a lot of time in the inner city in the projects in Philly. And I just thought, man, do I want to just go work in the projects in Philly? I so loved that entire environment and I wanted to be a part of that. Should I just go do that? Or should I go be a, a, a stockbroker on Wall Street, use my business degree and go be a stockbroker? Those were the options that I had. So I'm stressing over those. They're very similar to each other. So now I'm stressing over those. At the same time, I'm stressing over that and trying to figure that out. I've got this girl situation that was bothering the heck out of me. I've got this girl that I dated for a few months, broke up with her, dated a bunch of other girls. But while I dated those girls, this one girl kept haunting me. The thoughts of her kept haunting me me in a very good way. And I could not decide what to do. It was this girl right here. Her name was Jackie Sylvie. She was, uh, uh, she was, wow. She was, uh, she was, she was, a. she was, a. Uh, we can just sit and look at her for a little bit. Should we just do that? She's a Chi Omega. We kissed on her front porch for the first time. Fireworks. She saw fireworks. I didn't, but she did. <laughs> I couldn't decide. Should I go back? Should I date this woman? You can take the picture off. It's distracting me too much. She's been distracting <laughs> me for 27 years with that beauty. Uh, she, I could not decide what should I do there. And so in the midst of all of the, of the stress, and there was some serious anxious moments, this person gave me this passage. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And you guys, of all of those beautiful words in that passage, the ones that stuck with me in that moment in my faith was the very last ones. It was he cares for you. 
That was new information for me. See, I grew up Catholic and, and, and it was genuflecting in the pews and doing the sign of the cross. And, and when you made a mistake, you go to confession. And if God felt far away from, from me. And so when you hear that God cares for you, that he's personally cares for me, that was new information for me. And, and I didn't quite even know what to do with that. You're telling me God cares for me? Well, those people that Peter wrote to, they were the same way. Those guys were worshiping either Greek gods. The Greeks were worshiping Greek gods. The Romans were worshiping Roman gods. They believed that God, those gods were powerful, but they certainly weren't, didn't care for you. And so, so for, G, for Peter to say they, he cares for you, to those people, they're thinking, man, that's crazy that God would actually care for you and me. I didn't know that that would be part of the doubt that I'd face in my faith through the rest of my life. That, that I, hadn't, I don't doubt the existence of God, but there are times that I would doubt that he actually cares for me. And this passage continues to say, he cares for you. Now, now, we got to, we, those guys back then, they're in the heart of the persecution. They're in the heart of the oppression. They could easily have gone to Peter and said, it doesn't look like he's caring for me. Not with the stuff that's going on in my life. It sure doesn't look like he cares. And you guys, this is where faith steps in. This is where we stand on the foundation that Peter has built through Jesus. That we stand on that foundation and that cornerstone and we say, from here, I can have faith in what I have seen, experienced, and what others have seen. And Peter's looking at him going, you guys, I saw it. He said, I was there. I was there. That moment that he spoke to all of us, all the disciples and he said something that we will never forget. When he said this, when he said, For if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. When he said those words, that's powerful because he's looking at him going, you guys, if I know Jesus and I know Jesus, then I know his father and so I know God. So and when I see the, the characteristics of Jesus being played out in his life, then I can conclude that those are also the characteristics of God because if you've seen me, you've seen my father. That was powerful for, for Peter. And that's what he's explaining to these guys going, I saw it. I know he cares. I saw him care. I saw him care for that woman at the well. I saw him care for the woman caught in adultery when they were on to stone her to death. I saw him care for Zacchaeus when he was coming out of the tree and he could have just condemned him right there and he went to his house. And I saw him when that woman poured that alabaster jar of perfume all over Jesus and we all ridiculed that woman and he said to her, no, she's getting it. Man, Jesus cared. And he cares for me. He says, hey, Peter saw that. He said, man, I saw it in his eyes. I mean, out of all the things he had to do, he went to my mother-in-law's house and healed her. He went to my own family's house. I saw it in his eyes when I doubted like crazy and I was sinking in the water and he pulled me out and he says, Peter, you can trust me. I saw it in his eyes when, when, when he was about to be, uh, uh, when, when the Roman soldiers came to arrest him and Malchus came. And uh, of course, my impulse was to take a sword out and cut, it, cut Malchus's ear off. And, and then here comes Jesus saying, no, no, I got to do this because I love you guys. You got to let this happen. 
Man, he cares for us. And then, and then the, the, probably the, the hardest moment for Peter in his life, the single hardest moment, is actually written in, in Luke. In, in, it says, it says that, that Jesus looked at all of his disciples and says, you guys, you're going to disown me. You guys are going to turn your back on me. And Peter says, I am not going to turn my back on you. And Jesus says, yeah, no, yeah, you will. You'll probably turn your back on me within the, before the night's done. Before that rooster crows three times, you're going to turn your back on me. And Jesus was arrested, went before the Sanhedrin, and in the midst of the chaos of that trial, here's Peter. He denies him once. He denies him twice. He denies him a third time, and the rooster crows. And when that happens, the trial is over, and Jesus is walking out. And when Jesus is walking out, he and Peter make eye contact and, we, and Luke writes this down, one of, the more, uh, one, of the, one of the harder passages of Scripture that we'll read. It says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Their eyes met. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He did just as Jesus said he would do. And he let him down. But three days later, Jesus rises from the grave and is walking along the beach and Peter's in a boat and he sees him and he jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore and he's going, but wait a minute, the last time I saw him, we had made eye contact and, and I blew it. What's he gonna say to me? And those same eyes looked at him on the beach and, they, and all Jesus said is, do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Three times, three times he denied him. Three times Jesus asked him. And he says, yeah. And Jesus says, all right, let's go feed the sheep together. See, Peter is speaking from very personal experience. He cares for you. He cares for you. We got to let that sink in, you guys. He cares for us. Now, normally I would run to the next part of the next passage in here, but a friend of mine told me one time, she said, now slow down, slow down and let it sink in. And I really felt like with this, as I'm working on this, I thought, you know what? I do, I wanna slow down. I wanna do something we don't normally do in here. Before we move on to the next part of this passage, I want us to sit in that for a second. He cares for you because I know there are people in this room that need to hear that right now. That in the midst of your circumstances, you're questioning whether God actually cares for you personally right now. Maybe that's your doubt that you've faced in your life. Right now, he cares for you. And so here's what we're going to do. I asked Chris Sturgeon to come back up here, and I want him to pray for us. I'm going to pray over all of us right now and help us to just sit in it. He cares for you. Chris, go ahead and pray for us. God, there are so many voices in this world that tell me all the time that I'm not cared for, that tells us that no one cares and that we are on our own in this place. God, I pray that you would be fighting that voice back, that lie that gets whispered in each one of our ears. God, we can get this sense that, um, that maybe your predominant feeling towards us is disappointment or anger or nothing, that you're just removed and you don't give us a thought. God, I pray that for each person in this space that you would remind us that you look at each one of us like the person who loves us most in this world looks at us. Hmm. 
whether that's our, our mom or our dad, our kids, if it's a spouse, if it's a friend, Lord. God, when you look at each one of us, you see every part and you say, I am overwhelmingly and deeply in love with you, God. Hmm. Remind us, Lord, that the starting place of who you are, that, that the beginning point of each one of us in our relationship with you is not our feelings towards you, but your overwhelming feeling hmm. of love and adoration towards us. God, we pray that you would fight any lies, any voice that tells us otherwise, that we may always know and always begin the day from the place of knowing that because you love us, you will never leave us, and that we will be okay. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him. You guys, that's a, that's a part to this passage that I wish didn't chase me as much as it did. I wish I wasn't as anxious of a person as I am. I wish I was just one of those cool people that just never get nervous about anything. I wish that was me, but it's not. I'm an anxious person. I'm watching television. I'm watching movies. And I'm going, man, I wish I was like those guys. I mean, now that I'm going to be a grandpa this next summer, I, I'm starting to watch the Waltons over again, just kind of going, back to the old Waltons. You guys don't even know what the Waltons are. The Waltons, I mean, it's the greatest show ever on television. I wish I was John Walton. That guy's never faced. I watch war movies. That's my favorite genre of movies. And I, I wish I was Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan that just was smooth. I wish I was, I wish I was Lieutenant Winter, Captain Winters in, 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 uh, in Band of Brothers that just was like, man, nothing phased him. I'd love to be like that. But I'm not. I'm an anxious person. I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and if I don't have something that I'm anxious about, I'll create something that I should be anxious about. I'll wake up at four in the morning, and I'll be anxious about not being anxious. I'll be like, what's wrong with me? I normally am anxious at this point in the night, and why am I not anxious? I'll think of something from 10 years ago that I did to somebody. I'm going, I should fix that right now. Four in the morning, I got to fix that. I'll come up with something to be anxious about. It drives me crazy. I plan whack-a-mole with my kids because I'm always anxious with my kids. I'm always, it's, it's Ella and Justice. They got married this last year and now I'm anxious about them. And, but then Ella gets a job. Okay, she's good, but Jack and Emily are going to have a baby. Now I'm worried about those guys and I think I'm going to be able to afford that. And so I'm worried about that. And then Maggie comes home from Australia and now she's got to figure out what she's going to do next. I'm worried about her. Abby's trying to figure out school next year. I got to figure out what's what going on with Abby. And then Jack and Emily have something else. And I'm, and I'm playing whack-a-mole with my kids all the time. I'm anxious about them all the time. You guys, the way those of us that are anxious describe, can describe it, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a ball of rubber bands. It just keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I don't know if you guys know about uh, golf balls back in the 70s, but when golf balls were made back in the 70s, it was, it was, it was just a tight ball of rubber bands on the inside core of it. They were wrapped really, really tight around each other. And that's what I feel like sometimes anxiousness is. It's just like, it's like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And some of us have a ball this size that you're walking in going, yeah, this is my anxiousness. And some of us are like, it's on our shoulders going, yeah, and it's, this is mine. And we're feeling that. Well, in this passage, what he's saying to us is because he cares for us, we can cast our anxiety on him. That word cast literally means throw. It's an aggressive word. It's not a passive word. And for many of us that have anxious thoughts, we, we look at it passively and say, well, God might be able to take care of this, so I might throw. No, he's saying, man, throw it. 
throw it on God because he cares for you. And I played baseball, basketball, and football in high school, and I couldn't hit the side of a barn with a jump shot, and I was a bad hitter in baseball, but man, I could throw. And that's the thing I got, I, I've had to learn of just throw, how do I throw that anxiousness, throw it on God because he cares for me. I could picture Peter sitting there at Jesus' feet when Jesus was preaching to the thousands of people that came to him at the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus looked out at everybody, he says, you guys do not be anxious for tomorrow. And he's acknowledging tomorrow has enough worries of its own. He says, look out there at the lilies of the field and how much did my father enjoy clothing them and how much more because he cares for you, will he enjoy clothing you and giving you the needs that you, that you need to have for today? He's saying, throw, throw those anxious, anxious thoughts on my father because he cares for you. I'm going to stop for a second because I asked Becky to pray for us because I, I know there are some anxious people in this room. I know there's some of you that would text me at four in the morning if you'd had my number. That you'd go, hey, I'm up too. <laughs> Let's pray for you guys. God, we pause and recognize your spirit is here. Lord, your calming spirit is here. God, for my brothers and sisters in this room who were up last night with worries and anxieties, whose rubber band balls are getting bigger and bigger and tighter and tighter. Lord, we pray that you, Jesus, who call yourself the Prince of Peace, would bring peace to their hearts. God, that you would calm us. Lord, that you would remind us that you're the one who's in control, not us. That we can cast all of our cares upon you, Lord, because you are a good, good God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. That he might lift you up in due time. You guys, patience is not a virtue that very many of us carry. We, it, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But I think every one of us would say the one that we could use an extra dose of is patience. We struggle with it. I tell you what, due time, those words, due time, that has followed me. Due time. Jackie and I talk about it all the time. We'll just say, well, in due time, in due time, and we know what that means. Some theologians believe that when, they, when, when he said that with due time, they believe that it, was, it, was, it meant at the end of time, when we get to see Jesus face to face. That he believes that humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up when we get to see him face to face. But other theologians say, no, it's not, it's not when, when we see him face to face. It's just God's timing. That in due time, that's God's timing. That's not our timing. It's God's timing. Can we submit to God's timing? And can we learn something while we wait on God's timing? You know what, for me, I have found great peace in both of those through the years. That there are certain times where I, I, we, I might not get the answer until I see Jesus face to face. That maybe it's not going to happen until I see Jesus face to face. That, that, you know, there'll be a day that I'm, I'm waiting on the day that I can eat a quarter pounder with cheese and it does not make my weight gain five pounds on that day. I'm waiting for that day. That might be face to face with Jesus. There might be times... That, when my grandpa, when my grandpa died of Alzheimer's, 
There, those were days where I was asking God hard questions. I don't understand this. I understand why. I see, I see this pillar of a man that I had so loved and respected melt right in front of me. And I was, I was so mad at God in that. And I was asking the questions, God, I don't understand why. Tell me what's going on. Why in the world would this disease be even allowed to happen? Waiting for some sort of healing that would happen and my grandpa would start to recognize his wife again. And I knew that due time in those men, I'm gonna see it Jesus face to face and that's when I'm gonna have to ask him those questions. And maybe even at that time, I won't even care. But due time sometimes means are we willing to wait right up until we get to see him face to face for the answer. But for other things, it's in God's timing that maybe you're waiting on some answer to something and you know it has to happen right now or I have to have the answer right now or I can't, I can't move and I can't take another step until I get that answer and it's gonna be in God's timing in due time. And are we willing to surrender to that timing? Are we willing to s- submit to that timing? Go, I'll go wherever that goes and I'll wait on that and teach me something while I'm waiting. It's, it's, James wrote this. James was the brother of Jesus. And in chapter five of his letter, he wrote, for examples of patience and suffering, look at the Lord's prophets. We know how happy they are now because they stayed true to him then, even though they suffered greatly for it. Job is an example of a man who continued to trust the Lord in sorrow. From his experiences, we can see how the Lord's plan finally ended in good, for he is full of tenderness and mercy. See, what what James is pointing at is the Bible is filled with due time, with people that had to wait. You look back at Abraham, he waited 90 years. You look at Moses and it was, he was 40 when he led people out of the wilderness and 40 years later, supposed to take 40 days, it took 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness and Moses didn't even get to bring them into the promised land. That that was something where he had to see God face to face and Joshua has got to be the one to take him into the promised land. David was promised that he would be king at 18 and he didn't get to become king until he was 40. You're talking 22 years later. Some of us can't wait three days, can't wait five days. These guys are waiting 40, 50, 20 years. There's a passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet and there's a passage there that, that, that many of you have called your life verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you and to give you hope in a future. And then you'll call upon me and pray to me and you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And people have looked at that passage and they've gone, that is a life verse for me. He's got a plan for me that not to prosper and not to harm me. But we got to remember that Jeremiah wrote that in the middle of 70 years of Babylonian captivity. 70 years. Some of those people lived and died and never saw that prosperous life. Are we willing to wait on God's due time? Peter waited three excruciating days from that moment that he saw him face to face when he denied him to when he got to see him on the beach. Jesus waited 30 years and then three years and then three days in hell. And today he even waits on us. He says, I stand at the door and knock and I'm waiting on you to answer the door. I'm not gonna beat it down. I'm just gonna keep knocking until you answer it. Due time. Are we willing to submit to due time? And in our submission to due time, are we willing to see what God might be teaching us while we wait? 
I asked Jackie to pray for us. Would you pray for our time right now for those of us that are anxiously waiting on something and can we submit and say, God, it's your time, not mine. Jackie, you pray for us. God, I am so grateful that you are a patient God. You are patient because, let's face it, we aren't. It's hard. It's hard in this world that moves so fast to wait, to know what it means to wait in you. I have to confess that it's too easy. It's too easy to to listen to the louder voices, the louder voices that want to give advice, a book, to surround ourselves with music, it's so hard, God, to, to sit in stillness and to create space in my mind to listen to you. But God, you have a lot to teach us in those spaces where we're waiting. You never leave us. You're actually holding on tight. God, I pray, um, I just pray for us. I pray that we're willing to learn from you. Teach us. Teach us how to be patient. Teach us your patience and how to wait on you. Lord, in a, in a world that is moving fast and there are way louder voices, I pray that we take some time and, and sit and listen and learn from you how to, how to wait. Thank you for your patience, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This first part, this, it was this probably the hardest part. All of these take faith. It takes faith to, to, to cast your anxieties on him. It takes faith to believe that he cares for you. It takes faith for us to have patience. But this one's probably the hardest one, to actually humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. That we would actually say, God, you, it's, it's yours and not mine. God, I, I, I surrender my need for information. I surrender my need for what, to know what's next. I surrender my need to, for it to happen right when I need it to happen. How do we surrender all of that and say, I'm going to humble myself under your mighty hand? Think about how hard that had to be for Peter to write that. This is a guy that wanted everything in his control. And he's going, no, I learned. I had to humble, humble myself under his mighty hand. We, it actually says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, which means we've got to look back one verse from that. And one verse from that says, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. That specific words, those specific words, clothe yourself, it's a rare word that meant a servant putting on an apron before serving. And when did that happen? When Jesus washed his disciples' feet and he put that apron on just before he served them and he's going, this is how I need you to do this. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand saying, you, I am serving you. I am submitting and sacrificing my right to know and I'm willing to sit under you and whatever you have for me. Can we do that? Surrender, surrender to his mighty hand. You guys, that mighty hand that was used in the Old Testament to deliver the people to, to, out of Egypt. It was God's mighty hand of deliverance. 
Can we trust in the middle of the hard things in our life? Can we trust that God will deliver under his mighty hand? And we, can we submit to that? There's, a, there's a, a writer named Brennan Manning who wrote a book called Ruthless Trust. And I don't own a book that's more beat up than this one. I've got things written on every single page of this book. It's, it's, my, it's, it's probably the one that has spoke to me more than anything and, it's, and it, it's falling apart and I like it that it's falling apart because I'm falling apart and I need something like this to help me to understand who God is. And here Brandon Manning says, ruthless trust is an unerring sense way down deep that beneath the surface agitation, boredom and insecurity of life, it's gonna be all right. Ill winds may blow, more, more character defects may surface, sickness may visit, and friends will surely die. But a stubborn, irrefutable certainty persists that God is with us and loves us in our struggle to be faithful. You guys, Solomon was the, was the wisest man in the world, it said in the Bible, but he was also an idiot. Man, he was foolish, especially with women. But there was a point later in his life that he wrote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 where he wrote, trust in the Lord with all of your heart because I leaned on all of my wisdom. I had all that wisdom and I blew it with all that wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. And when he says trust, you guys, that word trust, that word ultimately means fall flat on your face in helplessness. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, don't lean on our understanding, but can we submit to him? Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, choosing the right path begins with submission, not information. Do you hear that? Choosing the right path begins with submission, not information, not even direction, submission. See, he, what he's, he's, he's doing, what Mother Teresa said, she said, I stopped praying that God would show me. Instead, I just started praying for trust. Not even direction, submission, specifically submission to the one who knows where each path leads as well as where it doesn't lead. Submission to the one who knows what is best for you better than you know what's best for you. You guys, I need this passage to keep chasing me down. I need it to keep chasing me down. I need it to, to chase me down through through each time that I'm anxious. I need it to chase me down to tell me, to tell me that God cares. I need it to chase me down to say, be patient on his timing. And I need it to chase me down and stand right in front of me and say, Bill, submit. Submit to his mighty hand. I love it that this passage continues to speak to me. It's been speaking to me for 30 years and I hope it does for another 30 years. And, and for each of us, I mean, maybe it's this passage. We've even put it in the bullet and we put a little perforated edge on there that you can tear it out if you want to and bring it with you. And maybe you need to memorize it. Maybe you have never memorized a passage of scripture and this is the one because it'll keep speaking to you. Or maybe it's some other passage that you need to just get right there on the tip of your tongue and right here on your brain that will speak to you because the Lord speaks to us through his word. Let it speak to you. Let it guide you. This is a friend that has walked with me through all of this. That's the Lord, active and at work. 
Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to, to recognize the times and the places that we need to surrender, that we'd recognize that your mighty hand delivers, that we would recognize that we need to be patient when we are so desperate for an answer. God, I pray that you would help us in our anxiousness, that we would throw it at you. And Lord, we pray that as we stand on that foundation that is you and your love for us, and as we, as we align our life to your cornerstone in your son, Jesus, we would pray that we'd recognize how much you care for us in that place, no matter what's going on in our life. We thank you, Lord, for being that faithful and that loving of a God for each one of us. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.